This morning, uh, we are finishing up our series, Leave It Better. And we have been looking at the life of Christ to see different characteristics that he practiced in his life so that we can put them, in, put them to practice in our own lives so that we can leave it better than when we found it. And we've looked, as, looked at Jesus as the good shepherd uh, who lays down his life for his sheep and, and looked at uh, the humility that Jesus possessed and the good mentor that Jesus was. And, and we looked at his leadership and, and how if we want to have godly leadership, we need to devote our heart, soul, and strength to, to God. So this morning, I'm excited to conclude this series by talking to you today about grit. Grit. This is a concept that has actually come up in some of my personal study over the past few months. And, and I believe that developing grit in different areas of our lives is a very valuable thing. But especially, as we'll see today, whenever it comes to, whenever it comes to our faith, I think, it's, I think it's very valuable. And so this morning, we want to answer the question, what does it look like to have gritty faith? What does it look like to have gritty faith? Angela Duckworth is a professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. And over the past few years, she has become one of the leading scholars on grit. Her book entitled Grit is a New York Times bestseller. And in 2011, she wrote a paper entitled Deliberate Practice Spells Success. Why Grittier Competitors Triumph at the National Spelling Bee. And in this paper, psychologists were interested in a set of traits that allowed kids to practice deliberately. Their data set consisted of 190 participants in the Scripps National Spelling Bee, a competition that requires thousands of hours of practice. The first thing that Duckworth discovered is that deliberate practice works. Those kids who spent more time in deliberate practice mode, this involving study and memorizing words while alone, often on note cards, they performed much better at the competition than those who were quizzed by others or engaged in leader leader leisure reading. The bad news is that deliberate practice isn't much fun. It was consistently rated as the least enjoyable form of self-improvement. But nevertheless, as spellers gain experience, they devote increasing amounts of time to deliberate practice. So this suggests that even 12-year-olds realize that this is what makes them better, that success isn't easy. But then that still begs the question, why were some kids better at drilling themselves with note cards? What explained this variation in hours devoted to deliberate practice? After analyzing the data, Duckworth discovered the importance of a psychological trait known as grit. Not surprisingly, those with grit are more single-minded about their goals. They tend to, to be obsessed with certain activities and also are more likely to persist in the face of struggle and failure. Woody Allen famously declared that 80% of success is showing up. Grit is what allows you to show up again and again and again. And these studies suggest that our most important talent is having a talent for working hard, for practicing even when practice isn't fun. It's about putting in the hours when we'd rather be watching TV or drilling ourselves with note cards filled with obscure words instead of getting quizzed by a friend. Success is never easy, and that's why talent requires grit. She's also studied cadets at the West Point Military Academy. She's studied rookie teachers in some of the most difficult school districts in the country. She's interviewed dozens of high achievers, including Seattle Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll. And grit was the one thing that they all had in common. Here is her definition of, 
of grit. The ability to persevere in pursuing, pursuing a future goal over a long period of time and not giving up. It is about having stamina. It's about sticking with your future day in and day out, not just for the week and not just for the month, but for years, and working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is, is living life like it's a marathon and not a sprint. I enjoy listening to, to podcasts, and one of the podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis is one called Every Thought Captive. Um, and there's some professors from where I went to school at Ozark Christian College, and they produced this, this podcast. And they talk about any number of things, and they just uh, want to uh, talk about those things in a way that honors Jesus. Uh, they want to think about things in a way that honors Jesus. And a few months ago, they had a guest on their podcast, and his name was David Kenneman. And he is the president of Barna Group. Uh, Barna is one of the leading research organizations in the country um, that focuses on the intersection of faith and, and culture. Many, many churches, many preachers use uh, the statistics that Barna puts out about how culture has impacted faith and impacted church. So Kinnaman, along with Barna, recently released a book called Faith for Exiles. It, was, it came out just last year. Um, and in this book, he suggests that we are living in a digital Babylon, a phrase that they adopted to describe our accelerated, complex culture that is marked by phenomenal access and profound alienation and a crisis of authority. And he says this, Ancient Babylon was the pagan but spiritual, hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads that became the unwilling home of Judean exiles, including the prophet Daniel. Digital Babylon is not a physical place, but it is the pagan but spiritual, hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads that is the virtual home of every person with Wi-Fi, a data plan, or for most of us, both. And so between the years of 2009 and 2018, Kinnaman and his team conducted surveys of 65,000 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up as Christians. Barna called the study the Faith That Lasts Project. And Faith for Exiles uses research to try and answer the question, how do we develop gritty faith? They, they like the word resilient. How do we develop gritty faith while living in a digital Babylon? In the book, he suggests five practices of resilient disciples that you can read about if you pick up a copy. But at the foundation of those five things is this simple statement. In spite of the temptation, Tensions they, resilient disciples, feel between church and everyday life, they keep showing up. Plain and simple, they keep showing up day in and day out, week in and week out, being a part of church. That is, that is grit. And maybe a big part of what it means to have gritty faith. So let's turn to, turn to the Bible. Grit isn't a word that we find actually in the Bible, but the concept is definitely there. Most of the time, uh, we see two different words referring to the idea of, of grit. Bible authors refer to grit as being as, as someone who is steadfast. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Being steadfast is the determination to remain at your post no matter what comes your way. It's this idea of being unwavering. And the second word that we see in Scripture to kind of get at this idea of grit is endurance. Luke chapter 21 verse 19 says, By your endurance you will gain your lives. 
the determination to keep moving towards your desired goal despite external challenges and internal weariness. Endurance is the ability to last. Not only do we see this concept being taught in Scripture, but we see it lived out all through the Bible. In Genesis 6, when, when all God can find is wickedness on the earth, there's Noah walking faithfully with the Lord. And of course, it, it shows a little bit of grit to spend decades building a massive boat in the desert, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. Abraham and Sarah were, were waiting for God to make them into a great nation, and they keep waiting and waiting and waiting, and all but lose hope for the fulfillment of God's, fulfillment of God's promise. In Genesis chapter 29, Jacob serves his deceptive uncle Laban for 14 years as he waited for the fulfillment of God's promise. At the end of Genesis, Joseph goes from pit to palace to prison to, to Pharaoh's right-hand man as he waited for the fulfillment of God's promise. In Exodus, Moses forsakes his place in Pharaoh's family. He leads the disobedient Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years as he waited for the fulfillment of God's promise. In our Core 52 chapter this week, the suggested reading for day three was Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. If you know the story of, of Nehemiah, and you kind of have to read uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther all together to, to get the entire picture. But you can see how Nehemiah would be a good example of, of grit. God's people had spent the last 70 years living as exiles in Babylon. And then in 536 BC, King Cyrus decrees to allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem. And so 50,000 Jews returned home, and rebuilding the temple was the number one thing on the to-do list of getting back to normal life. And so they begin on this project, but they don't get very far when they begin to face some opposition and their efforts are stalled. A project that should have taken a few months ends up taking 20 years to get the temple rebuilt. Now fast forward to Nehemiah. It's been 60 years since the temple is completed, but the walls of Jerusalem are still in ruins. And we may think, what, what's, the big, what, what's the big deal? We don't really have walls around our cities. But in the Bible, a city with walls was vulnerable to attack on every side. Walls stood for strength and protection. And so Jerusalem at this point is the laughingstock of everyone around because they don't have any walls to protect them. And when Nehemiah hears that the city of Jerusalem is still in disrepute, he mourns for the city. Then he prays to God, and he gets the, the blessing of King Artaxerxes, and he returns to Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. Nehemiah speaking, he says, I, I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for my good, and for of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And then, just like what happened with the temple, Nehemiah and his builders face opposition. But Nehemiah has, has grit. He has the ability to push through no matter what. He is steadfast. He endures. And the construction continues. The walls of Jerusalem had lain in ruins for over 90 years after the Jews returned to Jerusalem. But under Nehemiah's leadership, they were rebuilt in less than two months. And we could keep going. We, we see a list in Hebrews chapter 11, which is going to lead us in a moment to our memory verse for the week. But the, the writer of Hebrews even says, I, I don't have time to go through all of these 
All of these names. But I could go on about Gideon and Samson and Job and David and Samuel and Mary and Peter and Andrew and James and John and the disciples and, and Paul and, of course, Jesus. As he wandered through the desert, as he sweat blood in, in the garden, as he was crucified on the cross. Grit is all over the Bible. And before we jump into our memory verse this morning, I want us to look quickly at four characteristics of godly grits. Four things that we can see, that we can put into practice in our lives to help us with godly grit. The first one is this, passion. Passion. Passion creates excellence. Passionate people have a sense of, of purpose. They have clear values and steadfast beliefs. They are driven towards goals, towards the end of toward, they are driven towards the end goal and do not let anything stop them. And a lot of times they love the success of others. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 say, Whatever you do, work at it with all your hearts as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that, that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Romans 12, 10 through 11 say, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So godly grit, you can have passion. And the second thing that you can have is perseverance. And for many, perseverance is synonymous with pain. I think many athletes experience that as they go through uh, summer conditioning or summer weights. But in the context of grit, perseverance leads to something greater. It's practiced with the purpose. And so to persevere is to push towards a goal steadfastly. Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 4 say, Through Jesus we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that, that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. 1 Peter 5 through 8. 1 Peter chapter 1. Sorry. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. It says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can have passion and perseverance. And the third one is resilience. Resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. A trait of a resilient person is a strong moral compass and, and a strong set of beliefs. They don't compare themselves to others and, they, and see problems as a, as a refining process towards transformation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-10 through 10 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And lastly, the, the last characteristic of godly grit is courage. Not just physical bravery, but, but triumph over fear. Taking a chance whenever others won't. 
following your, your vision, standing up for your beliefs. Courage includes faith and patience and the guts to say no and to stay the course when everyone else has abandoned you. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, because, for because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. So now that we know what grit looks like in the Bible and what grit can look like in our lives, how, how do we grow godly grit? And this question assumes an important distinction about grit, that we can grow, that we can grow it, that it can develop in our lives. We, we don't all have grit, but we can. And, and this is good news for me because personally, uh, my, my personality and sometimes my habits don't always lend itself to being, to being gritty. It's something that I have to work at. But how do we go, grow godly grit? Well, this brings us to our memory verse from our core 52 chapter this week. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hands of the throne of God. So how do we grow godly grit? Well, I think the writer of Hebrews suggests two things. First, we look around. We look around. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of, of witnesses, that word witnesses com comes from the Greek word martis, which is where we get our English word martyr, which is what we use to describe someone who has been, who's been killed for their faith. This is the same exact word that we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 begins with the word therefore and, and, and students in our student ministry know that whenever you see the word therefore you always ask what's the therefore therefore. And so Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 is connecting back to Hebrews chapter 11 which we've kind of walked through. We see all of these examples, uh, all of these witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith they lived out their loyalty to God. But it's not just the examples that we see in, in Scripture that we are to, to look around to. There are witnesses in our lives who, who have been running the race, maybe for much longer than we have, and so we look to them. I think of my grandpa Gerald. He's been in ministry in some form or fashion for most of his life. Preaching, he, he worked at Central Christian College of the Bible for a long time. Even recently, he's worked for an organization that combats sex trafficking here in mid-Missouri. And it's never been flashy. He's, he's very quiet and, and gentle. Just faithfully following after God day in and day out. I think of my youth ministry professor, Kevin. He's, he's been in youth ministry or taught youth ministry for over 40 years. He has three sons and all three of them are in ministry. Two of them in one of the most unchurched countries on the planet. Kevin is blunt 
and he's sarcastic, and he believes that youth ministry changes the world. And he faithfully follows after God day in and day out. I think of Russ. Russ was a small group leader whenever I was in high school. And all of us liked Russ because he built a 15-person toboggan out of a tin roof for us to go sledding on on his farm. And Russ was always there if, if we needed him, faithfully following after God day in and day out. Think of my good friend Jeremy. He's an executive pastor in a church in North Carolina. We were roommates in college and best men in each other's weddings. Uh, but while in college, he discovered that he had epilepsy. Um, and then one day in North Carolina, he had a seizure while he was driving. And thankfully, um, it only resulted in a minor accident. Uh, but it's been a challenge for, for he and his wife. They have two young kids. They're about the same age as, uh, as Lauren and I's kids. Uh, but after countless tests and, and doctor vis visits and, and different medications, brain surgery was going to be the best course of action. And, and this procedure was normally highly successful, uh, but it's still brain surgery. It's, it's still scary. But everything went as it should, and, and Jeremy's been seizure-free ever since. But no matter what, I know that Jeremy and Beth are faithfully following God day in and day out. And now it's with a big, beautiful scar on his big, beautiful head. We don't grow grit by ourselves. We do it looking around at the example of other witnesses who are encouraging us along as we run our race. And so we look around and we look forward. Hebrews chapter 12, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have the ability to look forward to the reward we will get for the sacrifices we make, and that will make you gritty. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, Paul says, Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Psychologists like to refer to this as delayed gratification. Your ability to suffer now, to be rewarded later, is maybe the most important aspect for you gaining grit. And it's been demonstrated through something called the marshmallow test. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, take a look at this video. Here is the bottom line about grit. Grit grows through adversity. Life is hard, and it provides opportunity for grit to grow. Oswald Chambers said this, No healthy Christian ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. But the Bible is clear that we need grit. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 says this, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And grit is built on the hope that we have in, in Jesus. It is through God's grace that we have grit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 says, by, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. 
On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Ultimately, godly grit isn't about being tough enough or strong enough. It's about being dependent enough to find our ultimate hope and comfort in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for, this, for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the grit that he displayed in his life. And we could just focus on, on the last week of his life, and we see it over and over and over again. His willingness to, to not take the easy route, but to do your will. To be sacrificed on a cross, to take away our sin. God, I pray that uh, as we go throughout our lives and, and grow in our faith, that we can develop the grit that it takes to continue to love you and follow after you day in and day out. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.